I like everything. Pretty much everything. We're literally everywhere. Google, yeah. You Google, have no excuse. Amazon, Google. <laughs> And Amazon. Um, and um, I think Amazon. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, obviously right now you're listening to the episode, so you already found us on some platform. <laughs> That's so true. Why do we <laughs> – I know. Why do we feel the need every time? I, if you're going to share us with a you friend. You already listened to the whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> Tell your friends where to listen, guys. That's why we have it. They have no excuse uh, because we are on right. every platform. <laughs> This blew Megan's mind. I'm moving on, Megan. Welcome to Montessori Moms in the Wild. We are three trained Montessori guides and new moms. We are not here to be your guide per se, but simply to share, commiserate, and even inspire each other on this wild journey. Each episode, we will discuss a different element of the Montessori philosophy, explaining why it is one we find so important and interesting, and then take turns being blatantly honest about how we succeed and struggle with these practices in real life. There is no Montessori album for parenthood, and we are certainly in no shape to write one. Our hopes are that together we can remind ourselves of what is important to us as Montessorians and as mothers in a way that might help other parents, or at least entertain them. So sit back and relax as we take Montessori out of the textbooks and into the wild. Welcome everyone. My name is Rachel. I'm a mother of two with my Montessori certification in infant toddler, ages birth through three years old. I am joined here tonight by Megan, mother of two, a certified Montessori lower elementary teacher who is also currently working on her certification in primary ages three to six. And also Laura, soon to be mother of two with her Montessori certification in lower and upper elementary ages six through 12. Today we are here to do part three of our human tendencies episode. But first, let's start by catching up. What has everybody been up to this week? How's everybody doing? Who wants to go first? Not it. I can go. Go ahead. Well, we have transitioned to a bed. Oh, yeah. That's been a really big deal in our house. Yeah. So how's it been going? Good. Like, I was shocked. I really thought that it was going to be bad just because, I don't know, he kept saying, I love my crib when we would, like, talk about it. And I was like, I know, buddy, like, you know. But then we got the Toy Story sheets, and it was like, oh, I'm going to sleep on those, Mommy. There you go. Yeah, goodbye. (laughs) Yeah. Goodbye, crib. We actually haven't taken the crib down yet. I was like, well, let's just leave it up until he's like really comfortable and doing well. So it's actually still up in his room and he's just sleeping, you know, on the floor bed. But it's going really well, surprisingly. I mean, he's been up early, maybe a few mornings, but he's also just kind of laid there and like read books and stuff until I'm like, okay, but it's time to get up. So um, it's been very good. I haven't lost sleep over it. Yeah. So has he like left the room? Yeah. No, he has not left the room. I have a baby proof thing on it because he can unlock the front door oh, and that's right. has like left before. <laughs> not just the room, the house. The complete house, like in the neighbor's yard beside me. And it literally terrified me. It was one day over the summer. Yeah. Well, see, that's what I feel like the scariest part is, or at least that was for me. I'm yeah. like, what if I'm sleeping? And she just like, Decides yeah. like, peace out. I don't want to be here anymore. It freaked us out too much. Well, and you guys have stairs and yeah. Yeah, we have stairs. But he hasn't like tried. There's not even been a time where he's like, let me out of here or anything. So it's gone much better than anticipated. I'm happy with the progress we've made. Nice. It's a big milestone. 
Yeah. It is. Um, let's see. My week. My week, probably a highlight of my week was Halloween. We just celebrated Hallows Halloween. Eve. Yes. All Hallows Eve. All Saints Day. All Saints Day. Dia de los Muertos. There's a lot going on. There's a lot All of portals opening right now. There's a lot of harvests to celebrate. A lot of moons. Yes. Yes. And the moon's been... It's been nice. It's been a nice crescent lately. I don't know if you guys have been enjoying it, but I do love Halloween. My mom was the queen of Halloween. Halloween and Christmas were like the two, which is a funny pairing. <laughs> and this was the first year that my daughter seemed to show an interest and like seemed to sort of understand that there's something special about this Halloween thing. They must have learned the um, trick or treat song at school i don't know someone taught her trick or treat trick or treat give me something good to eat which is also really sweet that she doesn't do the smell my feet bar like she doesn't know that it's like an annoying song she's just genuinely singing it sweetly so this was the first year that we participated in any kind of way really she got to pick out her little costume and we walked around just a very small portion of our neighbor like where our cul-de-sac is and the one kind of like next to us we did maybe five houses a lot of people had their lights off and either weren't home yet because we also were doing this at like toddler time right so <laughs> it's like still light outside yeah it's like mostly the sun's still very visible but it was just really sweet it was really cute we did the whole prep Going into it, we practiced wearing the costume a couple times. We practiced ringing the doorbell at our house and having daddy open the door and say trick or treat, you know, like just did the whole rundown of it. And so she felt definitely palpably excited and terrified <laughs> at the same time. And I totally get it. Like I'm the adult with this child trick or treating and still was like, I don't want to <laughs> ring the doorbell. We don't even know these people. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to bother them. <laughs> um, but. It was sweet. It was fun. It was cute. It was just enough, just a little bite-sized version of Halloween that I think was appropriate for a two and a half year old. For our first one, it was it was sweet. It was a nice start. It felt good. That is sweet. I'm glad that it was, like you said, drama-free because you really yeah. never know mm -mm. at this age with toddlers. I know everyone out there that did trick-or-treating, like it either went really well or it really didn't. And yeah. we just do our best. Always. Always. <laughs> always. Well, I am very tired today because I finished my first round of observations for my training. Now, if you don't know anything about Montessori training, you have to have a specific number of hours that you are sitting in a chair, taking extensive notes, extensive notes. for a very long period of time. So I don't know if I like blacked out about this <laughs> last time. Like, I remember having to do it, but I don't remember it feeling so daunting. So like I did my seven hours today and I was like, all right, seven hours. So seven hours in a chair, not speaking, just writing. My hand hurts so much. And I only have 83 more to go. Like what? Ooh. What? Yeah. So pray for me. Just be thinking of me. <laughs> well, I will say this. Last time you did your training, you didn't have two kids mm -hmm. and you weren't an exhausted true. mother. Yeah, so. it's true. It's it true. Is true. And I mean, the during the day, like it actually is incredibly interesting to be completely taken out of the equation. You're not the teacher. You're not the parent. You're just observing. Like I'm not talking to the kids. I'm not talking to the teachers. I don't know anything about these kids. I don't know anything about these teachers. And it really is interesting to look at it from just a completely objective standpoint and not to say like, oh, this kid is acting this way because he had a 
bad day because his mom is going through a thing. Like I have no idea. And to just be able to look at them fully objectively is, you know, the whole reason that we do it, but it is, you, you, you find some cool things and like get to see some cool moments that the teachers don't get to see because they're so busy doing all the things and the lessons and the mediating. And yeah, so I got to see some pretty cool stuff. So on the one hand, it's really hard and it's just like not super fun to sit in a chair for seven hours. That's that's <laughs> the thing is hard to sit for it that is. many hours straight. And guys, I wore jeans because I'm so not smart. Why would I do that? <laughs> Why would I wear jeans? Were they sitting jeans or standing jeans? They were standing jeans. Mm, And the only reason I wore them, I knew that this was a bad choice. The only reason I wore them was because I didn't have any other clean clothes. Right. Because everything else was dirty. That's very valid. Very relatable. Very relatable. I have to wear something clean. And so I put on these clean jeans that looked nice. And I, the whole day, was just cursing myself. Because I wore these stupid jeans to sit down for seven hours. Anyway, my midsection, I guess, where the jeans hit hurts and my hand hurts and my back hurts and I'm old. (laughs) Yeah, you're falling apart. I'm falling apart. Falling apart. Yeah, it's a a cool experience. It's a necessary experience, but it also is – I forgot how taxing – it is. And so, yes, yeah. 83 more to go. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Yeah. Focusing for that long and really like being present for that long is really intense. Yeah. It is. It definitely is. Okay. We ready to jump into our human tendencies part three. I'm ready. Okay. So let's go back to our little definition real quick in case you haven't joined us for the first two parts of this. And if you are here for the first time, go back to one and two. And this will make a lot more sense. So quick recap. Humans are born with natural tendencies. They are tendencies that are natural desires that lie within us all from the time we're babies to the time that we are old and gray in every culture, in every time period. They may look different, but they are at their core the same. And so it is our job as Montessori teachers and as Montessori parents to understand these human tendencies and to honor them with our children. So the first one we're going to talk about today is exactness. Humans have a tendency for exactness. For survival, it is important that we know how to take care of ourselves, which in modern society can be reflected in everything from our doctors providing exact prescriptions for our bodies. It would be really bad if we weren't exact in these numbers or buildings that are built to specific codes. This can even look like following a recipe exactly to make a baked good or to make sure all of your clothes are in the hamper instead of hanging off of the side. Some of us, it doesn't matter so much, but... (laughs) Again, we say that this looks different for all people. It does. It manifests differently Mm -hmm. for everybody, right? (laughs) Okay. Very young children have a drive for exactness. They want to know exactly how much, how many, how long, and why. I'm sure all of you have heard these questions before. However, if the environment doesn't support it, you probably won't see this. Exactness is formed through practice of refined movements to express this human tendency. Uh, So what are our thoughts on exactness? So I was trying to think before we sat down to do these last four of things to say about how this should apply to the home, because I immediately think of a lot of classroom specific scenarios and like lessons or experiments 
I think that's great. If you could give us some examples of those, because that's the thing is this was created with the focus being on classroom materials. And then maybe we can shift over to how that might look at home. Yeah, because I think that's the thing that I, you know, constantly say about Montessori is the philosophy extends so far beyond. I mean, these human tendencies occur outside of a classroom just as much as inside it, if not more. If not more. So they still need to be fostered and respected outside of a classroom as well. So in a classroom, the grades I worked with were first, second, and third, right? So lower elementary. And so the academics have kicked up a little bit of a notch and they do, they want to know exactly the answer to all of their questions. And as they get older, they're able to verbalize that better. But as toddlers, we see this in that sort of sense of order, you know, wanting things to be exactly a certain way, wanting to understand exactly what's going to happen. Um, this goes here every time. I think Rachel, you shared a story about your little boy at dinner time losing his mind because you kept moving the milk from the spot that he felt that it needed to be exactly in every night. And this goes all the way up to working with an upper elementary kid who's saying why, you know, all the questions Megan listed and really wanting to know why. And that can be frustrating and triggering for us as adults and as parents, because we want to generalize and like hyperbolize things. You know, we want to give you a a rough explanation that works for most of the scenarios. It can be frustrating when that doesn't sit well with a kid and they don't just accept that general explanation or they want to know like, what do you mean by that sort of sarcastic hyperbole? You know, like they need to know exactly right now. And I think that you have to sort of have that concrete foundation in exactness before you can transition to the general explanations of things. Yes. Yes, Mm -hmm. that's exactly kind of where I was going with this is that so the classroom materials are designed to be very exact. They're very mathematical. Yeah. Maria Montessori talked about humans having a mathematical mind. We all do, whether or not you felt like you were good at math or not. We all have a mathematical mind. It's the way that we see the world. And so the way that the materials are designed, they're beautiful and they are exact. Like if you look at, say, the golden beads... There are exactly a thousand beads in the thousand cube, and it is a perfect cube. The ability to really bring that exactness first, that concrete first, is really going to support them when they do move towards abstraction, which we'll talk about. And I know that talking about like exactness and abstraction can sound like really abstract. (laughs) But we kind of talked about this before, Laura. I know you talked about it when we talked about fantasy. We talked about giving real life experiences and maybe making them really simple and really concrete. The example that you gave is you said that you would, instead of just watching Finding Nemo, you might go to an aquarium and actually see real fish. And that really plays into this whole need for exactness is they really want to know they're building up their catalog of what is the world like how does this place work? And the biggest gift that we can give them is give them real concrete experiences and things that are going to support that understanding that they're looking for. And so we talked about like with numbers, making sure that they're like real quantities before we're worried about them counting to a hundred, because we don't care if they can count to a hundred. We want them to know like, this is one, this is one stick or whatever it is. What good is it to count to a hundred if you have no real concept for what a hundred is? Like you just know all the sounds that need to come out of your mouth to make the adults go, wow, you counted to 100. What exactly is 100? Put Mm -hmm. it in my hand. I want to feel it. I want to count every single one of them. 
Yeah. And, and I mean, I even mentioned some of the things that we might do in our normal lives or in our society. So things that can build out exactness or things like building blocks, things like that, or baking, following recipes, or I mean, even going through a grocery list and going off the list and finding all the things that you need. So there are different ways that we can make our activities kind of lend themselves to this need for exactness. But I will come back to you again, Rachel. Do you have different thoughts now that we've talked about this a little bit? Oh, I'm just thinking about like my toddler and then what I'm doing in the classroom and the exactness. I mean, like Laura said, it really just manifests in the sense of order. A lot of times at that toddler age, they need it this way, that exact way. And that is the only way. Like it's not okay to do it any other way. And also (laughs) right now, my toddler's in this stage all the time of, what are you doing, mommy? What are you doing, mommy? Like, I'm driving the car. What are you doing, mommy? I'm pushing the stroller. What are you doing, mommy? Even the exactness to know like exactly what I'm doing in that second. He knows what I'm doing, but he needs like the confirmation. He needs me to say it out loud because he's seeing it, but he needs me to like confirm. Put it together now. Yes. What exactly are the words that describe what I'm looking at right now, mommy? Exactly. What exactly are you doing? (laughs) I think that brings me to my classroom thinking all the time, I'm constantly sportscasting. I see that they are doing this. Like, I don't even realize that I'm constantly telling the children exactly what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing. I'm helping with the language. Like, I have a lot of nonverbal children and I'm speaking out loud and in that exact way so that then they have those words. Yeah. I mean, language, that's a huge one. That's a huge one. From toddler all the way on that we really hit on in Montessori. And you can see the natural tendency in all children. My daughter's starting to do it too. It's like you can say, we have this book that's about marine animals. And she was pointing to a beluga whale. And she said, what's that? And I said, it's a whale. And she was like, what's that? Like, yeah, yeah, but what kind of whale? Like, (laughs) I need more. They want to know. It's like I said about a catalog. It's about being able to refine, which is another sensitive period that they're in to be able to refine those senses and be able to say like, yes, I see that that's a whale, but what kind of whale? And, and we really do that in, in primary and lower elementary really start to like, these are mammals, these are insects, these are, and really allow them to go deeper into that and learn like scientific names for things. And it helps broaden how they see the world and how rich of an experience that they're going to have. So one of the biggest things that we can do at home is really providing specific vocabulary. If Mm -hmm. like Rachel was saying, like she's like telling them exactly what this is and giving them a really rich vocabulary to be able to express themselves in a very exact way. So I think that's a way we could do that at home. Yeah. I think that's a huge one is just having the patience yeah. to do that. Because like Rachel said, there were points where her little boy is asking her what she's doing. And it's like, it's clear as day what I'm doing, honey, you know what I'm doing. You want <laughs> to just not answer sometimes. So being patient to find the language for it. And then especially with the older kids too, being patient just in general with the, just the understanding that this is a very important human tendency and one that will enable them to later be able to generalize and be broad about things and vague about things the way that you now can. You know, it's tough at the end of a long day to 
watch your toddler put her socks on 15 times because the heel is not exactly where it needs to be per the mm-hmm. pattern on the sock, you know, like <laughs> yeah. that's excruciating. That's a really good example. Yeah, yeah. that's a good example. And even if you don't have patience, even if you're losing it, hopefully at least you and your mind can say, hmm, look at that human tendency. (laughs) And hopefully that brings you a little bit of peace. Recognize it. And maybe will allow you to, instead of ripping the sock out of her hand and picking her body up and being like, we got to go, to be able to say, I see that that is really important to you. And you want that sock to be just right on your foot. Mommy's going to help you this time, my love, because we got to go. You know, like it just, I feel like for me, the big thing with all of these is just if you can understand what's happening and find a little grace for it, courtesy for it within yourself, Mm -hmm. then it makes you less inclined to be so triggered as a parent, at least for me. Because it's very easy to get triggered. It's so easy. There's so so many things all day, all the time. But if you can find a little bit of empathy for it, then I don't know. I think it's a little easier to deal with it. So I think- we really were really clear about why exactness is so necessary in leading to the next tendency, which is mm-hmm. abstraction. Yeah. Humans have an amazing ability to think abstractly. We can imagine, predict patterns, create, plan based on mere concepts, or even create and recreate objects that are not actually in front of us. It gives us the ability to take what we've learned and apply it to other ideas or activities. An obvious example of this might be a metaphor, using one type of thing to describe or understand something completely different. In the classroom, children are given concrete materials and activities to ground their experiences and allow them to understand and explore with their senses so that they may then take that understanding and progress it further into abstraction. So what are our thoughts here? Well, again, the obvious classroom application of it is, as we've talked about all the the idea of all these materials, right, and walking mm-hmm. into especially a toddler and children's house and, and honestly still largely a part of the lower elementary classroom as well, is seeing all of these colorful, enticing, manipulative objects that are meant to coincide with a concept that most likely if you were in a traditional public school setting as I was, you were taught to memorize these concepts, but had no actual concrete experience with them, right? Like I've taught language lessons at the first, second, third grade level that come with a very physical component that a child can hold in their hand and have like a a whole impressionistic story and just tangible reminder and symbol of like what this concept, like a preposition or a conjunction, like, what does that mean? You know, like I was literally given a list of prepositions in I think eighth grade to memorize in alphabetical order. Could I have told you what a preposition does though in a sentence? (laughs) Absolutely not. But But I knew what they were. Now you always see the little bridge. (laughs) Now I always see the little green bridge and I understand it's showing me the relationship between these two nouns. You know, like it's just, it's so cool. It's so so cool cool. to have a concrete, hands-on introduction to these really lofty, really nebulous concepts. And you know, Megan, you said earlier, we're all mathematically inclined, whether you felt like that or not 
And that goes so far just beyond doing the basic operations. But like, do you enjoy finding patterns in things? You know, like it's just in us. Or even our like ability to see things as beautiful. We love things that are symmetrical. I was reading somewhere, it was like a design book or something that our brains like it when there's three of something on a table. Yeah, yeah the rule of thirds. So it's like, even if you're not even really outwardly searching for it, our brains are just attracted to mathematical patterns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what a gift it would have been for me personally to have been introduced to a lot of those mathematical concepts, especially those higher loftier ones with some kind of tangible representation, the math materials in a Montessori classroom. I've never, not once had a student that didn't love math, that like self-proclaimed, like it was part of their identity. I knew two kids growing up that loved math, quote unquote, you know, like it's just, it's so different when you are able to be given that concrete introduction to an abstract concept. And so that's the classroom, right? But what do you guys think? How would that play out at home? How are we making sure as parents to be able to be mindful of that? Well, I think first we've talked about this kind of common misconception that Montessori isn't imaginative or it's not creative. And so I just want to say like we are saying abstraction is necessary and it is a human tendency and it is good. But in order to have the like best chance at really being able to think abstractly to like your fullest potential is to get those concrete experiences first. So it's not that we're saying like, you know, it's bad to do math on paper. We do math on paper, but we want it to make sense first to be able to touch it, to be able to feel it, to be able to see it. And then when you get that paper, you're like, oh, I don't need these materials. I can just write this down because it makes sense. And I'm able to now take what I know and apply it abstractly. So I think the I mean, we talked about this with exactness. I think the biggest thing is to have real concrete experiences first and then let that imagination take them. So it's like something we do in elementary is we have, you know, we talk about the great lessons. And so we have this big impressionistic story that's true and it's real and it gives them as much information as can possibly be packed into this wonderful, amazing story. And then we let them go, like just imagine and just be inspired by this. And so I think having those really rich experiences that start off really concrete and then letting them go is the coolest thing. And one of my favorite things about Montessori is that we're not like saying that you need to only experience things in this certain way, but just start off really concrete and then and then see where that takes them, which is a cool thing to watch. I feel like it's hard for me to say a ton of examples at my you're level. So, and that's the thing is it's, it's – I'm just so in concrete. Like this it's, is something that really doesn't start to present itself until a little bit older, like yeah. Yeah, getting more. towards second plane yeah. stuff. So that's mm-hmm. something that we've been talking about so much about having real-life experiences because that's the ages that we're talking about. And abstraction really starts to show in that second plane. Yeah. The ages that Megan and I worked with, you get a lot more of the ability to start. So like, you know, Megan, you said we do math on paper. Well, not in Rachel's classroom. You don't, you know, like one-to-one correspondence is definitely happening. I mean, like, you know, we have plenty of 
picking up and putting one object right in the place. And right. that's just that one object, but that's really all you're going to see in a toddler environment. Yeah. yeah. And we, so for my training, and I believe it'd be the same for AMS is there's no math till four. I mean, there's math like we, the, in the sensorial and in the, in the practical life and all of that stuff, but we're not like really not even operations. We're not even touching number rods until four. So I think that that's another reason that it's like so, so important to get really get that practical life and that sensorial in first because we always want to like jump ahead. We always want them to count. We want them to be able to do their operations. We want them to memorize their times tables. But like that's not what's going to build that ability to do that Mm -hmm. later on. Yeah. So I think maybe the big takeaway there as a parent is just to be mindful that if if your kid at whatever age they're at seems to be sort of struggling with a concept that is on the more abstract side. If there is a possibility that you can have some sort of tangible concrete component to go with it, it might help ease that understanding into abstraction, mm-hmm. right? So like my kids really hooked on reading books about African animals, but has never seen a real one in her whole life and keeps coming back to this one page of the elephant and asking me a ton of questions about elephants maybe this weekend we're going to take a trip to the zoo and go see an elephant, you know, because like she can't just imagine what that's like without some kind of basis for it. Now this really lends itself to imagination. In fact, Megan, you already kind of even started to use that word in your explanation of abstraction. We did a whole episode on imagination versus fantasy. Go listen to it. Please do. Yes. For this topic for imagination as a human tendency. Through abstraction, we are able to imagine. As humans, we are able to imagine what could be. We use our experiences to imagine and create. So again, we use our experiences to imagine and create. This is how we might solve problems or express our thoughts, our emotions, our ideas. Children have beautifully vivid imaginations. Through their sensorial exploration of their environment, they can begin to use their imagination to express their creativity and take what they've learned and progress it and express their personalities, their likes and dislikes, and all in a way that no one else can because their expression of imagination is unique and personal. Every single human's imagination is unique and personal to them. And that's because, like it says above, We use our specific individual experiences and understandings to shape that imagination. So again, we talked a lot about this and how Montessori gets a bad rap for, you know, people thinking that that's discouraged in a Montessori setting. It is definitely not. Does anybody want to kind of recap how we feel about that as parents and as teachers? God, I don't even know what to say, you guys. <laughs> just went like totally blank. I know. What did we say about that one? This is what happens when we record at night. Oh, like you'll see imaginative games on like a toddler playground. Like you guys yeah. have that little structure. Yes, little building, yes, right? yes, yes. And you might see them imagining to serve someone out Food the window or, or like ice come cream. into my house. Yeah, they have a little ice cream stand or it's their house and they want to play a house type game. And that is them using their imagination to sort of like process and solidify what they're seeing in real life. Yeah. Very real world concepts. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it really does help them to process 
And if you really pay attention to what they're playing, it's so interesting sometimes to see what they're processing because you can really see like what's going on in that little mind through their play. My daughter had to go to the doctor and so she had to do this procedure where they had to listen to her heart and there was like an ultrasound of her heart. And so it was this kind of scary thing for her where we had to go in and it was really new and it was kind of a long thing that, they, that she had to do. And that was probably, I don't know, two months ago, three months ago. and. She just the other day was playing and she got something and she was like, okay, mama, I'm going to get some jelly. I'm going to listen to your heart. And so she's really processing this through her play. And so we had talked about the difference between fantasy, which Laura, I think you explained it as a unicorn floating down a rainbow <laughs> right? <laughs> versus imaginations where we're taking experiences that they've had and processing it through their imagination. And what you said here was that we can think about what could be or what we could make. And you see that with kids a lot of like, what could we do with this? And yeah, they really do have beautiful and vivid imaginations. If you watch any children play, it's fascinating. <laughs> I also want to say developmentally, if like you're not seeing imagination yet and you're a toddler and you're like, oh, I haven't kind of stepped into that imaginative play kind of yet. It doesn't typically start until like the 20 month mark, sometimes yeah. not even till they're two. So like, don't freak out. That's, that's developmentally normal if you haven't seen it yet. So yeah, that's important to say too, is that if you're not seeing it yet, it will come and it is really cool to watch. And I think the biggest thing that we can do as parents is just to allow it to happen and really maybe observe those interactions and the way that they are using their imaginations and really use that as a tool to help you serve them better either in their environment, what you're offering them, or maybe see like, mm, maybe we need to talk about something. Maybe they're confused about something. Maybe they're trying to process something that they don't really understand or is painful or hurtful or scary to them. If your child's playing something or talking about something a lot, that might be bothering them and that might be a way that's showing up. Yeah, I think one thing to just like in everything else we say, try not to interrupt, like as fun as it may be to watch them and see them in this experience. And you may want to ask a question, really try not to interrupt and let them be and let them play and let them do their thing. And then later, when you're having dinner, you can ask about, hey, what, what were you playing at the house earlier? What were you doing when you were at your kitchen playing? And then maybe they'll elaborate on that discussion. When we interrupt, then maybe we are changing the whole process of how they were going to play because we interrupted them. And it's hard to be interrupted when you're in the process of something. That's a great, great point that I personally need to hear all the time, Rachel, because my daughter <laughs> has been 1000% into the imaginative play scenarios, conversations. She has the best conversations with the cat lately <laughs> yeah. that are definitely her practicing skills and languages and, and just... It's so hard. It's so hard not to want to be like, what did you just say? And like, and jump into the game and be like, well, what if we and alter her whole experience yeah. with a very now adult driven imaginative play when I really just need to let it 
be hers and and maybe just try to circle back later and maybe I'll get an explanation and maybe I won't. You know, they're very toddlers are very if, again, if it's a toddler especially, they're very in the present moment. They don't always have the ability to like reflect and let you know exactly what they were thinking an hour ago when they were playing in the kitchen. But the more important part here is not getting an explanation from them. It's just sitting back and letting it happen. And Megan, I love your point that it it can be important to observe it because sometimes it is that they're working through something and it can be a really great tool yeah. for working through something that maybe you know is in the pipeline, right? So like going into that doctor's appointment, you did not get to practice by going to a doctor every day and, and practicing the scenario. You had to sort of, everybody used a little bit of imagination in pretending we're at the doctor. This is what he's going to say. This is what you're going to, you know, like just a lot of our tips have been about preparing children for something that's to come, discussing it in advance. And there is a little bit of imagination required there sometimes and allowing them to sort of lean into that and play out all those scenarios. If you have elementary aged kids and they're having social issues, right? Other like sort of peer mediation situations, role playing, role play, role playing is a form of imaginative play, right? And it can be super, super effective for working through difficult scenarios for kids. Yeah. And I think this for older kids, if we're talking about more second playing children, I think imaginative play or just self-expression using imagination is an amazing way for them to really, like I said, express, to be able to express how they're feeling and what they're thinking or what their great ideas could be because they have so many ideas at that age of things that they want to do or try or what if we did this and what if we all got together and what if we built this thing and then we could use this paint and they, they have such big grand ideas. And I've talked about this before with second plane children. If we can just foster that and try not to squash it, it can be a really beautiful thing. I know a lot of us, our first answer is like, no, it's going to be messy. And no, we don't have time. And if you can maybe let them, let them really go with that thought and go with that idea and and see where that Im- imaginative play or that thought an idea takes them because you might be surprised they come up with some pretty cool stuff should we move on to self-correction yeah yeah we're being efficient this time more so than usual anyway yeah i just want to say that this is our last one wow it's been a journey it has been a journey i feel a little (laughs) sad like three episodes our little just it's been it's been it's been good it's been a nice ride with you guys and everyone listening that's all I <laughs> and everyone listening good night i <laughs> this maybe is a good time to say that if there's been one that is like extra interesting that you want to hear more about maybe let us know and yeah. we can yeah. dive into one of them more because obviously we can talk forever and you know what if you like hey i think i know enough about these then we did our job <laughs> yeah yeah it's true if you're like you're god no i don't want to hear any if i don't have to hear the word human tendency <laughs> ever again i would be happy just one more guys here we go and this is probably one of my favorites mm. is self-correction mm-hmm The desire for self-correction is a human tendency that allows us to progress and thrive. Self-correction means the correction of one's own errors. Fingers up. I'm putting up my finger. You can't see that. Fingers up. (laughs) 
I always forget that we are on audio. (laughs) When we are able to self-correct, we have the confidence and the independence to explore and imagine freely. They also make us feel more confident in our abilities to handle and recover from failure. We want children to be in charge of their own mistakes. Built into the Montessori approach and her understanding of humans in general is the desire to be better. It is innately within us. We push ourselves to try again and to get better. We want the children in our care to feel safe making mistakes and understand that it is part of the learning process. The environment is designed to be progress-oriented, not Product oriented. Mm, ding ding ding. Bum, 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 bum. That last part right there is the whole different. Not the, I can't say that. That's the whole difference, but it's a jarring difference between yeah. Montessori curriculum and philosophy and approach and mm-hmm. a traditional curriculum. Yeah philosophy and approach, that it is progress oriented. It is, we've said this so many times, it is about the progress. It is about the journey and the effort, not so much the product. Yeah. And obviously it can't always be there, right? Like we're not saying that as a 25 year old, it should be just that you tried it. If you've completely failed at your really important job and didn't get that thing done, like there's a, there's a problem. There's going to be a consequence, but we're talking about children Yeah, Mm -hmm. but that's the difference between self-correction because I think that you said that perfectly. I think that's a concern a lot of the time. It's like not everyone gets a participation trophy. We're not talking about participating. We're talking about correcting your own mistakes, Mm -hmm. which is something that you will have to do for the rest of your life. It's not like you turn in something to work. Here's my report and they say there's something wrong and you're like, oh, and then you move on to the next thing. You have to, fix or you it. just have a meltdown. Have a meltdown. Yeah. You can't deal with that. And need someone else to come fix it for you. You have to be able to see that you've made a mistake, and be able to correct it without feeling like a failure. And that's something I know that we see a lot in elementary as they start to get older and they've started to have these experiences where they have maybe not had the opportunity to self-correct, they won't even try yeah. after a while. Like you give them some kind of, you know, say some kind of math work and they don't even want to try because they're so afraid of getting it wrong. Yeah. And something that's so beautiful about the Montessori materials is that we've talked about their self-correcting. So you put the piece in, it doesn't fit. Okay, take it out and put it in another piece. There's not this emotional connection to, well, now I failed and I'm a bad person. It's, oh, I failed and I can fix this. I can try again. Yeah, yeah I, I can, can get back it. up and I can try again and I can fix this. Yeah. 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 And I think that one of my favorite parts about the Montessori philosophy is this whole idea about self correcting because I feel like it is the key to making lifelong learners. You're not going to want to learn anymore if you're so afraid of getting something wrong, if you're afraid of getting a bad grade. And I know a lot of us feel like when we grew up, like if we didn't get that thing right, we felt like we were bad people or we felt like we weren't good enough. And it has nothing to do with your worth as a person. Just this is part of the learning process is that we make mistakes and you just say, "Oh, oh, well, and you just do it again. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's a huge one. I feel like, and this is part of that whole culture shift away from saying things like good job or wow, you're really good at that. Or, oh my gosh, you're so smart because we are accidentally ingraining in our children. I know for sure it was ingrained in me that you have to be 
good at things. And if Mm -hmm. you're not, then you're bad at that thing. And if you're bad at the thing, then you should probably just avoid that thing because failure was terrifying to me. And because so many things did come very easily and naturally to me in, in an academic setting, if I came up against something that didn't, that felt like work, that felt sticky, I was done. I was happy to just like bow out and do something different that I knew I could be successful at. Yeah. And that is a shame. That is how shame. many is. things that I miss out on in my life because I was afraid to fail. And I so desperately don't want that for my girl, yeah. right? So like when something doesn't go right, when she makes a mistake, when she spills a thing, when a mess happens, whatever it is, whatever it is, when she puts the sock on the wrong way or the shoe on the wrong foot, I make it very important to me to take a big deep breath and give her the time and space. And if I if she needs a little bit of guidance or narration, I will happily do that with her. But that ultimately she's the one who fixes it, who gets the towel to clean it up, who puts the dirty thing in the washing machine, whatever it needs to be that she's involved in that process and that I'm not in any way imparting on her that this is a problem for me or or she's in trouble for not having gotten it right the first time. You I don't know. I might be derailing here, but you guys know what I'm trying to say. Like, I just don't want her to be afraid to make mistakes. The thing about toddlers, when they're in that developmental stage, they are so resilient and they have so much patience and they want to do it. Like, they're so determined. They want to do it right. Yeah. And they don't feel like failures yet. (laughs) Exactly. So it's so important to let them self-correct in that time period, in that little developmental window we have, because you're right. They don't feel failure yet. They're they're so gung-ho about, I'm going to do it right now. And they're yeah. so excited about it. So it's really important to let them be in that moment. And in my classroom, I mean, it, it's so funny to watch because I have like a 15-month-old. I have a three-year-old. So in that age spread in my classroom, when that 15-month-old, 18-month-old is learning how to self-correct, that three-year-old is also modeling and showing and helping. And that's part of the reason I love the three-year age groups together is that they're able to see it and they're learning from one another so much. Yeah. And the three-year-old has the patience too. So it's it's just awesome. It's always more meaningful coming from each other to have that, you know, for me to have the third grader turn to the first grader and say, I had a really hard time with that spelling list too. It took me a long time to master that one. I didn't think I ever would, but I got it. And to have, you know, they're like, well, then I will too. Because at some point they are going to be old enough to be aware of the concept of failure. And so if we have as their parents, not as their teachers, as their parents, the most important guides in their lives, taken out the idea that failure is a bad thing, that is a massive gift. In fact, I recently read something by a a woman who was writing about how her father changed her life incredibly by asking her every day from elementary age up, what did you fail at today? Oh, that's sweet. At the dinner table, they had to bring something that went well, but also something that just freaking bombed. And he would love that and celebrate that and say, great job. Congratulations for trying out for that play and completely falling off the stage. (laughs) What did you do to fix it? Or what do you, what did you learn from it? You know, like it was that, that the failures were more important parts of their days than the textbook successes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. I do too. And I, I want that for my child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the biggest thing we can do at home is like we've talked about the prepared environment. 
So like you mentioned a spill, a spill's not a big deal if we have that little cleanup bucket that has their rag and and their spray bottle or whatever it is, or just even just access to what you have to clean up stuff. And it's just, okay, you spilled, let's clean it up. And not putting emotional weight onto mistakes. And I think that's the biggest thing we can do. And then maybe for older kids, say you haven't been doing this and you have like a nine-year-old and you're like, okay, well, that's great. I didn't start at toddler. What do I do now? I think a really amazing thing that we can do as adults is to kind of narrate our own failures and again, not put weight into it and say, oh, I made a mistake. Yeah. And it not being a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't need to be a big deal and not being so hard on ourselves and giving ourselves grace and modeling that for them. I think that's a really great way that we could do that. I mean, for younger ones too, for for all of them is to be gracious with ourselves and say, "Hey, I tried really hard. I didn't get it right, and that's okay. Yeah. I'll try again tomorrow." That's so huge, and that's such a gift to ourselves as well, yeah. to even if we're saying it at first just to play along with the philosophy and do the thing we're supposed to be doing as good guides, it does end up being this massive blessing to you as the adult to be able yeah. to start verbalizing like, you know what? I made a mistake. I messed up. Yeah. It's okay. I'm okay. We're okay. We're safe. You know, like that Mm -hmm. is so huge. And we talked about one of the most fascinating human tendencies on here was observation, I think, and not in terms of us observing them, but that they are always watching us and that they will do and believe how we behave more so than what we tell them. And so, yeah, I think that's a huge one. And I'll toot my own horn on that one because I do try to point out when I make a mistake from spilling something to forgetting something that was important to her, right? And and calling myself out on it and saying, everybody makes mistakes sometimes. And it's really sweet to now see her with as verbal as she is when my husband you know, drop something on the floor or gets frustrated because he broke something or whatever to have her walk over and be like, hey, daddy, it's okay. Everybody makes mistakes sometimes. We can fix it. (laughs) That's so sweet. It is so sweet. And I'm like, yes, please hold on to that for your whole freaking life. It's that whole growth mindset, which is like really become popular now that Maria Montessori had been talking about for thousands of years hundreds of years ago <laughs> um but it's still important it's still true that whole growth mindset versus fixed mindset is that growth mindset says like i may not have done it this time but i can do it and you know that that fixed mindset is like i'll never yeah. and i can't and i won't which i think we've all experienced that whole belief that we can't do something and then we don't even try and like you said i think all of us as parents, all we really want is for our children to pursue their their dreams and, and not be afraid and to kind of take the world by storm. And that's what we want for them. So yeah, this one's really important to me. Yeah, mm-hmm. me too. All right. Well, let's finish out the show with a segment called Confessions from the Wild. Rachel, I know you have one. We'll tear it. Well, speaking of imagination... My little boy lately has been playing with a friend that's invisible. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, okay. Oh, it's our first invisible friend. Okay, tell me all of what's what's their okay. name. Who okay. are they? What's he do for a living? His name is Charlie. <laughs> Charlie. Okay. Charlie, and 
he's just all I mean literally Charlie's cooking with me Charlie's doing this with me I'm like okay yeah yeah um I had an imaginary friend growing up her name was Katie and I remember her greatly my mom because like Rachel Katie was like everywhere did everything with you well one day Katie died you guys and she. (gasps) Yep, yep. Just kidding. Here we go. It got dark. It got dark. She fell off a swing in my grandpa's backyard. And literally, like, yeah. So, all right. Speaking of imaginative play, what happened to you as a child? I know. What were you working through? I I know. Like, still to this day, what was I working through? But me and my mom were talking about it and talking about my little boy and his imagination and. Charlie, my mom's just like, well, let's hope Charlie doesn't die like Katie did. Oh my God. Let's hope Charlie's a little longer R. lived. R.I.P. Katie. R.I.P. Wow. wow. <laughs> so there's my confession. I was not expecting it to go down this road at Went all. Went down the road. It's so sweet right now to watch. I hope I was sweet with my imaginary friend at one point. But, um, <laughs> but it, it is so fun to watch him because he's like, come on, come on. And like, let's knock the tower down. It's just fun. But let's hope it doesn't go dark like mine. I know. That's hilarious. And so like, might it's be. It's really kind of creepy. But I it literally, I'm like, what happened in my, my mom's like, I don't know. Like one day you, she was you just, just killed her off. Gone. My mom likes to think that I just like, I needed her at a point. Like, right. And then you didn't need her you know, anymore. I didn't need her anymore. Yeah. And she was just gone. But so you killed her off. She just fell off a swing when she was gone. I think that you missed your calling to be a soap opera writer. <laughs> be like, I'm done with this character. Kill I him think off. it might be one of the more Pisces revelations that we've had from Rachel that she loves her friend, loves her friend, loves her friend, kills her friend. <laughs> <laughs> Pisces are crazy, but Rachel's so stable. So there had to be something. So yeah, um, yeah. I will take that story as proof that you are. That is so funny. Fact, oh well, I Pisces. cannot wait to meet Charlie. Yeah, that I'm sure he'll cool. tell you about him. Yeah. Hopefully, you don't sit on him or anything embarrassing. <laughs> I know, and I will admit my mistake. Yeah. Everyone makes mistakes. Everybody, oops, I'm sorry. We're tying that back to the episode. We're Megan. tying a lot of things back, yeah. guys. Nice oh job. Oh my gosh, I this maybe this should be my confession because it's kind of sad to say out loud. I never had an imaginary friend, but I wanted one so badly, <laughs> and I guess I like, missed the point on like how you can just go ahead and imagine it but like I thought it would just like be like I would really see this friend and I didn't and they see just never anybody. appeared to you oh, I, yeah <laughs> all right so imaginary friends Megan did you get anybody send one in for you I got a couple so I asked people on Instagram which some of you have been sending me your confessions but I didn't specifically ask if I could read them to our global audience, so I won't for now unless you maybe listen to this and say, hey, you can share them. Um, So I asked if anyone had any confessions to share. The first submission was, mine aren't appropriate for public consumption. (laughs) Well, mine aren't either, but it doesn't stop me. (laughs) We'll just move on. (laughs) We'll just move on from that one, I guess. Another one, I still haven't seen the Titanic. Oh, So no no spoilers here. (laughs) (laughs) It sinks. (laughs) It's not good. (laughs) Not a happy ending on that one. I do want to read one that I haven't had 
permission to read, but maybe I'll ask her. And then if we get our permission, we can, we can keep this in. Okay. But our good friend, Liz, she wanted to let me know. So she said that she's been trying the singing thing that Rachel had suggested on one of our reels that we posted about using kind of songs as commands instead of saying, no, don't do that. And she said, today, though, I was trying to get him to take a sip of lemonade after coughing because he's sick. And the lyrics I came up with were lemonade, 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 big (laughs) sip, little sip, big sip, little sip, all to the tune of smash hit booty work by (laughs) T-Pain. I believe I misunderstood the assignment. No, I think that is... Absolutely phenomenal. I think I love that, that is a fire song about lemonade. There you go. Lemonade, lemonade. I'm going to start singing it now. Lemon, lemon, lemonade. Big sip. <laughs> and I was saying, I was like, oh, I think we might need to come up with a whole CD like for our band. Album? An album of Weird Al type cover songs yeah, yeah. of early 2000s music yeah. for song commands for our toddlers. There you go. Love it. Love That's it. That's a good idea. Yeah, because I was saying that something I always do like when my kids are running is I was like, stop and wiggle with it and it <laughs> works. <laughs> it does. Shake it like a salt shaker. My mind is exploding right now with song uh, ideas. Too. I'm like, okay, now what else I can, can we use? So yeah, thank you, Liz. We are fully inspired and you definitely understood the assignment. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, that just brings it to me. And I'm just going to bring it down for a moment here by boring the crap out of everyone and saying that I've been thinking about this confession for like four or five days now. I really just want to get it off my chest. Bring it here. I have a huge pet peeve. Okay. Maybe I should back up real quick and say, I am not perfect either. Okay. This okay. is something that I need to say with every single episode because I always sound like I know what I'm talking about and do it perfectly, <laughs> but I don't. I mean, I know like in theory, but I'm not perfect. In theory, there's very specific rules on when to use the personal pronouns I versus me. Okay. Mm-hmm. So as a teacher, I learned that the rule really boils down to if you are the subject of the sentence versus if you are the object or direct object in the sentence. So are you doing the action or is the action being done to you, for you, you know, whatever the case is. We need some concrete materials first. Yeah, I should be, there should be a video component to this so I can show you the circles and the arrows. Um, Yes. But when I was a kid though, in high school actually, is when I learned a really quick trick to tell if you should be saying I or me. So let me give like an example of what I'm even talking about here. I see this all the time. It is just rampant on Facebook and everywhere else on social media. Someone will post a picture or like a throwback of themselves with, let's say their mom, right? And the caption says, my mom and I at the movies, whatever, wherever they are, it doesn't matter. My mom and I, or here's a picture of my mom and I when I was three. That's a better one. There's a picture of my mom and I when I was three. Nope. No, it's not. This is a picture of my mom and me when I was three. (laughs) And what I learned, so obviously for subject object, like you're not the subject of the sentence. This picture is the subject of the sentence. You are an object that comes after the subject. That all sounds really complicated. So here's what I'm going to tell you to do instead. Take the other person out of the sentence and say it with just you in that sentence. Would you say, this is a picture of I when I was three, or would you say, this is a picture of me when I was three? 
you would say me. So it's okay to say this is my mom and me. And I think we all default to saying I because somewhere down the road you were taught that that was like the correct way and sounded smarter. But when it's not the correct way, it doesn't sound smarter. And it drives me nuts. thinks that I sound smarter or that they think that if it's at the beginning of the sentence, it's I. And if it's at the end of the sentence, it's me or something like that. I don't know. One, it's a lot easier you get your circles and your arrows, Montessori. A concrete introduction. I need the lesson in Montessori style, guys. Why is this a confession? <laughs> um, because just that I... It's a grammar lesson. What is your confession about this? I It ruins an experience for me to read a caption or an essay or a comment or anything at all and have somebody thinking that they're being smart using the wrong personal pronoun saying I when it should be me or me when it should be I that's less common but still happens I think I said to you guys before we started recording this is not so much a confession as a complaint okay so it really was more (laughs) of a complaint and also this hopefully helpful tip to everyone that if you are struggling with when to say I versus me and it's because there's more than one person involved and that's generally Mm -hmm. when you get thrown off take the other person out of the sentence for a second and see, would I say I did this or me did this? Would I say they picked I up or they picked me up? You know, it's that simple. Yeah. It's helpful. Just take the other person out. It's, it's very helpful. helpful. I used to, I remember I was talking to someone, I don't remember who it was. It was some kind of mentor person. And I was annoyed with people and their and their grammar. And they were telling me that if people say it that way like if it's kind of an accepted way to talk then it's correct Mm. and I was like okay Mm. and he was like when you're when you're doing some kind of like academic something it needs to be correct but there is a way that we speak yeah colloquially yeah 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 yeah. and that that's accepted as well well and I think that's why I say this with a lot of hesitation that I'm going to catch some flack from people being like wow get off your (laughs) grammar soapbox you a-hole like not a big deal I'm going to put whatever I want in my caption on my picture on Facebook because it's not an essay okay it's not my college (laughs) thesis you know what I'm saying yeah you know what I meant and you're all right you're all right to think that (laughs) but this is your confession this is your experience and sometimes <laughs> sometimes things that shouldn't bother you bother you. Yes, and this is one of them. Also followed up by when people leave their blinker on for way too long. Do you not see it? Do you not hear it? That bothers me. There's like things that can send you into a rage that don't send anybody else into a rage. Like other people can be like, oh yeah, it's fine. I know what you're talking about. But like for me, I don't like it when people eat and drink and then they continue to chew their food with the liquid in their mouth. Oh. And then they drink the water and then they keep mm-hmm. chewing. That bothers me. And if you mm-hmm. do it, just – <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's fine. Again, it means nothing. It just happens to bother me. So if you have lunch with me, maybe try not to do it. <laughs> just don't touch or that Or if water. you have lunch with me, just I'll don't. just look the other way because, again, it's not your problem. It's my problem. But still, it's just kind of grosses me out. Well, and to that same point, I guess, I'm not going to actually comment on your thing and be like, you mean to say I or me. <laughs> I'm just going to think it. Okay. But hopefully, like I said, hopefully the little tip to just take the other person out real quick and check yourself will be helpful. Yeah. If or you're writing an are essay. Gonna, if their people are listening to this, they're going to just 
purposely be like putting the wrong ones. It's going to go rampant <laughs> now on our account. And tag you so that all you see Here's my child day. and I working on this Montessori <laughs> lesson. At Montessori Moms in the Wild. Me and my son were gathering leaves. No. No! Stop it. Everybody stop. I can't handle it. Okay. I'm done. I'm thanks. Thanks everyone for listening. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. Well, you have to you, you have, have to, to keep right, talking. Have to keep going. <laughs> oh, well, right. Well, keep going, Laura. Thank you for listening to Montessori Moms in the Wild. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us, subscribe, review, and rate. We are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, iHeartRadio, uh, Amazon. Yes. I like everything. Pretty much everything. We're literally everywhere. Google. Yeah. You Google, have no excuse. Amazon, Google, <laughs> and Amazon. Um, and um, I think Amazon. <laughs> you can follow us on Instagram at Montessori Moms in the Wild or email us at Montessori Moms in the Wild at gmail.com. Please, please email us. Please email us. Love oh, to get emails. That is well, so yeah, mostly. Funny. <laughs> Most emails actually. Oh All right. My. Until next <laughs> until next time, crew. Stay, Stay wild. wild. <laughs> oh my god.